Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. And this week we are talking about dinosaurs. That's right. My pick. So Dinosaur Sanctuary Volume 2 came out. And my next opportunity, we're covering it. And it's going to be the same for Volume 3 when uh, you said September earlier, didn't you? We were talking um, about it. Yeah, last I checked, I saw... Um... A scheduled release for September. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's at least in sight, so that's good. This week also is a little balancing things out between, you know, me picking these things that I find erotic, and now here you are picking these things that you find erotic, with Dinosaur Cloaca very much on display. There's a lot of Cloaca in these comics, just like consistently. It's because we're shorter than the dinosaurs. It's the thing they leave out of all the Jurassic Park movies. Since you're shorter than most dinosaurs, you are looking at their genitals all day. You're just, like, face level with their crotch. Yeah, it's it's that scene from the first Jurassic Park movie where they see the Brachiosaurus. It should have turned around and they should have just been looking directly up its asshole. This manga is more accurate in that respect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we fully jump in, as always, I mean, animals have genitals. You see, you, you have a dog or a cat. You know that. You see that all the time. They love yeah. displaying that shit. God, yeah. Before we fully jump in, spoiler warning, as always. If you haven't already, we have an episode all about the first volume as well. Um, read, get caught up. This manga's by Itaru Kinoshida. The research consultant Shinichi Fujirara is back and credits to letterer J.M. Ayatomi Crandall and translation is John Neal. And yeah, there's there's just a lot of dinosaur fun here again, but also a lot of dinosaur trauma, which is basically where we start off. Yeah, the first story is shocking and how like so... If for some insane reason you didn't listen to our first episode on this, um, the basic story of this is that there are dinosaurs in parks and there was an incident, uh, was it 15 years ago, um, that is the reason why most dinosaur parks are now like financially struggling and having a hard time getting people to come. Yeah. And, and it... we learned towards the end of the first volume that one of the main characters in the manga, uh, Kaidu... Arata was present for this event as a dino keeper at Dino Land. Now, I got the impression that, like, it wasn't this Dino Land that it happened at. And then in this volume, it seems to be this Dino Land that it happened. Like, I thought there was Enoshima Dino Land, but there was also what they just called Dino Land, which to me sounded like the bigger one in, like, Tokyo or something, presumably. Yeah, like, my impression was that it was a different park, although I was and, a little confused on that note as well, but I was under the impression it was just, like, a similarly named zoo. Yeah, like, just the, the even if this is literally, like, the same company, they're both run by Dinoland. Yeah. But it's like having, 
you know, there's Disney World and there's Disneyland. One of them's bigger. Yeah. And all throughout Volume 1, they sort of dangled the mystery of, like, what was the incident, you know? And there was just a sense of, like, well, it must have been a situation of, like, someone getting hurt or a dinosaur getting out sort of thing. And, like, we knew that at least, like, one of the dino keepers, like, staff there had died in an incident, and we didn't really know the full extent of what happened. And this volume opens up with that flashback, where, as you said, uh, Kaido Arata was also working there at that park at the time, much younger. And, girl, it's intense. This, yeah. Uh, So we're introduced to Ichigo, who is an Allosaurus. Um, If you're not familiar with dinosaurs, Allosaurus was the top predator in, like, America, essentially, during the Jurassic period. Um, So imagine, like, smaller T-Rex with three claws. Not at all similar, really, but, like, that's the gist. Yeah, it's like another one of those, like, really big-looking, like, lumbering... Like, yeah, I mean, nowhere near as big as T-Rex, but still quite large. A yeah. very, like, deadly animal. Um, oddly enough, what happens is kind of exactly what you would expect to happen. <laughs> One of the yeah. meat ones kills some people. Shocking. Yeah, and it's, like, specifically, like, not just that, but... Oh, these parks have these regulations and policies in place to help, like avoid disaster and avoid dinosaur escapes and everyone's supposed to follow them except then people get cocky and they don't because essentially uh kaido is working as like a junior underneath of an older more experienced person and basically um the senior employee tells kaido to go out um fetch something that they need that they're missing kaido's just kind of like but aren't two of us supposed to be here at once just in case and his boss is just like i'm the senior go do what i say and there's also like a bunch of concurrent stuff of like construction and like gates not going through the proper checking of like what's open or closed the end result is the overconfident older employee who was just like, oh, I'll be fine, ends up getting gots when the dinosaur gets spooked. And yeah, it's established that she is like panicked by loud noises, which is just such a realistic like animal detail. Like this isn't there's plenty of shots of her just sort of living the way that like any animal would like this isn't the portrayal of like a monstrous animal. She got spooked and because she's giant and has sharp teeth and claws and eats meat she goes for the other living thing in her cage yeah is clearly what has happened um and yeah so we have kaidu is face to face now but we do see the keeper's dead body and it's it's quite bloody it's not as graphic as something we're gonna get later but it's a very like tone shift from what we got in volume one and what we're gonna get in the rest of this volume this story is a lot more serious. I when I read this, I was messaging you about it. I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is a lot. This is a lot more than I was expecting. 
Yeah. And like artistically, like it's a splash page. They devote a whole page just to this image of like the dinosaur, like standing up over the body. And you see like the lifeless form, like with the blood and cuts and everything. And the way that like the dinosaur is posed, it's like you see like some blood at her mouth and like you see her claws and it just like emphasizes like what a dangerous creature she is. But there is also that sense of just like this is an animal. It's not something as simple as just like this is a murderous bloodthirsty beast You know, it's you just kind of get like that shot of like her eye as she's looking around is just like, you know, she is a trapped, spooked animal who just kind of lashed out. And now she literally has the sense of blood and has hunting instincts. Yeah, I didn't even really think that deeply about that part. But yeah, that is that's That's why she keeps going. Yeah. (laughs) And we Um, just get like a bunch of like Kaido trying to run to alert people and like close like smaller gates but there are like ineffective ones that she can push through really easily well he doesn't get there in time to close it all the way and she's able to like scratch his arm which is we see the scars and some of the present day stuff um where he got scratched by her claws yeah which is like a pretty effective like continuity thing i think and how they just take like a couple panels to show that and just give the little oh that's what that's from moment and it's like she like slams through hit like through the gate through him like claws him as she like slams him down to the ground he's in a state he's fucked up he's bleeding like he's got blood coming down his face yeah i really like especially like there's emphasis on the blood dripping from his eye, like from the upper side of his face. And there's this one panel where he's like wincing, squinting in pain and like looking over at her and like her outline is really blurry. So the art's like mimicking the effect of like his vision being fucked up from all the blood and only having like one good eye, which is a pretty nice, like aesthetic touch. Yeah. It's, it's really good. And like she's really scary looking in this sequence especially and of course she's heading directly for the general visitors area and chapter one ends with the shot of her running towards a gate while yeah we saw this in volume one and at the time i speculated that it was a giganotosaurus because we saw this right after we had a lot of very similar shots but you know i got it wrong it's an allosaur but not that different they're both carnosaurs (laughs) Yeah, you certainly were able you certainly were able to field a guess at all, which is more than I would have been able to do. Um and... well I mean Allosaurus is like much smaller than like Giganotosaurus is arguably the largest carnivorous dinosaur. Bit of a debate there. It would have been less massive than T Rex, but it would have been taller, probably. But then Spinosaurus was much longer, but even slimmer. So, like, T-Rex has the most bulk out of anything, and is very large. But then, yeah. But also, there's still just some debate on all of that, and also the specimens we we found, who knows? Yeah. At the end of this, uh, Kaido does manage to, like, 
get a grip on himself enough to like pull out his cell phone to like call and say that she's escaped and that final shot bringing us back to like that moment at the end of volume one the sort of preview moment is one of the aforementioned straight up the cloaca shots as we go from this terrifying blood from the mouth dripping sharp claw beast like multiple angles to the upward back shots of just there's there's the bird genitalia on the monster that's about to go ham or has already started going ham and is going to continue to do so. And then we have a page of science stuff. Yeah, because we get our first of the research consultants like between chapter little prose pages, which... We don't need to go into them really, but I love them. I'm, I love that they're here. Yeah, it's like sometimes they're like loosely related to like the dinosaur from a chapter. Sometimes it's just some other dinosaur stuff. Like a lot of the ones in this one, like this first one talks about like the anatomy of breathing and stuff like that and dinosaurs. And it's all like not essential to follow the story, but it's just kind of cool. Like, oh, this is a comic book that's here to kind of teach you stuff. We're going to teach you more stuff. So it's just like little charming extra matter. Yeah. And and unlike all of the stories we'd had so far, this one, I say it's not dependent on what species of dinosaur we have in the story. Like I'd say that the species of dinosaur or at least the species close to that species is like really important to the plot in each part of the first volume. You know, a lot of them are based on specific specimens that we found of like this species. And then this one is, well, you could kind of slot almost any carnivorous dinosaur into this plot. And you could even do several herbivorous dinosaurs in a similar thing. It's not like those weren't dangerous either. Yeah. This is like it would least... be a bit different. It'd be someone getting trampled, but like you have a charging brachiosaur that's, you know, sixty feet tall or something stupid like that's probably overestimate. But you know, that's the same effect if that gets it out. Yeah. I do appreciate that they at least chose to like use a species that they hadn't really spotlighted in volume one. Since like, you know, even if more or less any species could have worked for this, I like that they still went ahead and used the opportunity to like visually give us a creature we hadn't really got yet. I'd be willing to bet that at some point it's going to be established that no Dino Park has an Allosaurus anymore. Yeah, that that's an interesting it, prediction, yeah. It wouldn't shock me if that species has been made extinct again. Like, yeah. even if they have a DNA in a lab, but, like, they've gotten rid of all the living specimens. Because we definitely haven't one... seen any in the present day, right? I don't remember any. No, and I mean, no one's going to go and see them, like... Dinosaur parks generally became way less popular after this point. And, like, this is the species that broke out. Yeah, which I guess is kind of sad zoologically, but also that plot point would make perfect sense, like, societally. If you wanted to find a way of critiquing, like, using this series to critique, like, corporate stuff, that's essentially the equivalent of um, all the movies and TV shows that are just getting pulled off of 
various Warner Brothers, especially, but a lot of different services and streaming and deleted forever and made completely inaccessible to the public for no real reason by a lot of corporations right now. But anyway, back to the plot. I have to wonder, too, while we're on this theoretical tangent about the like logistics of what extinction means for a lot of these species, because it's like there's the ones they found and then there's the ones that they like brought back with like some form of genetic engineering. But we don't ever really get a sense of like how many of any particular kind of dinosaur there are in this period, you know, and if this is a relatively niche sort of setup, like these dinosaur parks and things like that, and if most of the dinosaurs like are set in environments like this or like controlled like scientific observatories and things, then surely more or less all of the dinosaurs must be at like extinction level populations you know if they're pretty much entirely being kept up by humans i want a spin-off series about a group of people who are like in a science observation on the island that they found the dinosaurs on who have to like keep poachers away it's called the savage land (laughs) i would also like them to do that in like a marvel comic yes yeah like, stop using Savage Land for Caveman stories. Start using it for, hey, we kind of have an inbuilt Jurassic Park here. Why don't yeah. we actually use that in a way that that franchise just refuses to do anything intelligent anymore? Yeah, we don't really have any, like, really dinosaur-heavy Marvel books, or at least not like that, because, like, even the one dinosaur that's running around is, like, a time travel thing with Devil Dinosaur. Like, we don't actually use the savage land for anything like that reptiles a thing but i've not i don't know his deal i need to read reptile i haven't he turns into dinosaurs but anyway back to dinosaur sanctuary yes back to the comic we're talking about now so with the alarms going off we have the security team are like grabbing guns so like they have preparations in place and they basically there's panic yeah but at the same time, the gate that Ichigo is going towards is starts opening, and it's like it's directly the gate to the general visitors area. Um, and so Ichigo starts going towards it, and you know she's, as I say, I, I'm I would say this has got the scent of blood, something along those lines. Like a lot of animals, when they start, like it takes them a while to calm down when they started being violent. Yeah. And, like, she had been spooked before. Now there's the whole blood thing. There's whatever hunting instincts. And also, Kaido, like, um, theorizes that it looks like she's in pain. Because it looks like she might have broken ribs at one point during the escape and the falling. So that can only be making her all the more upset. Because she's, like, in a hunting frenzy freaked out injured just a dreadful situation all around and And she's suddenly in an unfamiliar space because she left her habitat exactly yeah like now that she's running through different gates she's in places that she's never been before so she's not even like on her home turf um so she starts going through the gate but they push like the alarm button that starts automatically closing it and it closes on her which just makes the situation worse she starts roaring and screaming 
you know, everyone's sort of seen her now because she's actually out in the visitor area or like halfway into it, trapped by this gate. So we see lots of shots of everyone running out the park and panicking. And meanwhile, like from where uh, Kaido is looking over at her, it's like, I'm not good at fully figuring out like the architecture layout of the place but he's sort of like off to the side from an angle where he can see her while the like gun security team is getting ready to I guess just take care of the situation and so he is there and can actually see when they kill her with like a rifle shot straight through the head and so we just get again just this gruesome like splash page of her like trapped between the closed gate with this bullet wound at the top of her head dripping down her snout but we also still just have like her imposing claws and everything and it's just this disturbing shot of like this killed dangerous creature she's still like pinned in the gate so she's now just like hanging there dead bleeding out we also have a full splash page of like the entry and exit wound of the bullet being made this moment is played out over the course of like four pages yeah which means just the sniper lining up the shot and firing and like yeah it's rough It is very gruesome. By far the most, like, tonally different from anything else we've gotten, but not in, like, a bad way. Like, it's very necessary. Yeah, like, it's still, like, well done. It's, like, a very necessary, like, I guess moment of both, like, lore building and character building because of just sort of setting up the specific events that gave the industry such a hard time and led to them declining in popularity but also the delivery of this flashback is sort of framed by kaido talking about it and like visiting a little grave that the park has that's like symbolic like it has a headstone but not like the actual dinosaur bones under it it's just sort of like a symbolic mound that represents like all the dinosaurs that the keepers have lost over the years, most presumably in far less tragic circumstances, you know, like age or disease or things like that. Like not all dinosaurs that almost kill people, but I think that is literally the only incident because he says it was the only one like nothing had ever happened like that before. And you'd imagine that nothing had happened in the other 15 years since then, because that the parks are still allowed to exist. Yeah. Like it's the only incident that we know of at this point. And besides just like being an obviously traumatic thing for Kaido, it also sort of shapes how he thinks about human dinosaur relations. And as he's talking to uh, the other protagonist, Suma Suzume, he talks about how it was his coworkers pride that led to the death. And he says the dinosaurs aren't monsters, but they aren't pets either. Every living thing has a comfort zone that must be respected or else. And that's basically exactly what happened was the or else. 
And then he talks a bit too about like how he had considered leaving the field, but decided it was his duty to stay in the field and try and stop this from ever happening again. Uh, and then he apologizes to Suma. So sort of the backstory for her is her dad is the one who genetically engineered the dinosaur species that were not found on the island by using the DNA of the ones that were found on the island. It's an incredibly roundabout way of talking. Like, but to get the other species back, which is just how to explain how we have any dinosaur species we want rather than like whatever makes the most sense to have been left on an island. Yeah. Without apparently be... evolving for 65 million years. I, I don't mind. You know, it's just the plot device to bring him back. But yeah. um, her father had been like, it had ruined his reputation, what happened. And he wound up taking his own life um, due to like the public backlash against him. Because I, I guess Allosaurus was one of the genetically engineered species, like we found out last volume Dilophosaurus was. Yeah. Yeah, shit's, shit's rough. And fortunately, after this, the rest of the volume gets us more back into cute dinosaur territory. Yeah, uh, basically, Suma says that there's no need to apologize and talks about, like, you know, so we get, like, some cute moments of, like, what she's been doing at the dino park. And, you know, the, the whole, like, they've both been working together and, and making, like, taking care of dinosaurs properly and trying to get people to like them again and it's worthwhile and like there's no yeah yeah it's sort of a equaling of i don't know if equaling the playing field is the right term but just like it gets a bit less antagonistic considering like how assholish and like looking down upon he was back in volume one but the thing is, at the start of the flashback, the way that he acts is exactly like she does in Volume 1. And the way that he's viewing Ichigo especially, it's very similar to a lot of stuff with Suma in Volume 1. Yeah. There's a definite, like, mirror here. And the end of the first story promises us that we're getting back to the cute shit uh, as we find out that Suma is going to have to take care of a little baby dinosaur uh, specifically one of the Troodons that hatched last volume. Uh, I won't rehash the Troodon name thing, but like, good species to pick, but maybe it shouldn't be called Troodon. Debatable. But that's all just nomenclature. This animal existed and is amazing. It's a little yeah, baby I... bird, just a bit more feral and dangerous looking than a chicken babe. It's scaly snout, the cutest thing on the planet. This, this, I've had to, I, I will occasionally just open up this volume and look at this middle story because it's just so fucking cute. And there's so many amazing panels. Yeah. Of this little baby Troodon being the cutest thing that has ever existed. Yeah. The basic gist is like that her coworkers think that she's advanced enough to the point where they're going to try leaving her as the head person in charge of a dinosaur for the first time. And like you said, it's one of those little freshly hatched babies. And she works with it at the park and also has it staying with her at her house over the nights because it is basically imprinted upon her as her mother. And there's 
this great set of panels where they're trying to get uh the baby to imprint on the Troodon, that's its dad, Nico, but because they can't like this baby hatched later. So like essentially what happened is there were some eggs that didn't hatch when all the others did. And normally those just wind up being duds that don't work out. But one of them did wind up hatching later, which is where this baby comes from. Um, So Kaidu was dressed up in a hilarious like puppet outfit of a Troodon trying to get this baby to imprint on the Troodon. And it just sits and stares at Suma. And yeah, this baby is too adorable. It's making me lose my train of thought half the time. It is very cute, and part of ben the Key. issue... It's the name. Yeah, Benki, and part of the issue of why um, she's taking care of it specifically is that because it's like a late bloomer, late hatcher, and I guess also just its personality, it's not really like getting along with the rest of its actual biological family. Like, his siblings think that or at least like the humans describe as they're theorizing why things aren't going well. Um, they believe that the other little Troodon are bullying him because he's sort of the weaker little runt of the litter. And they just sort of like pounce on the lack of power and confidence. So they sort of have it separated from the rest of the siblings, kind of for its own good, even though they want to make it like imprints and get more back along with life with the family. And so a lot of it is like Suzume struggling to like take care of the dinosaur, but also see if she can teach it things to make it more comfortable interacting with the siblings. So like she takes uh him home because like another problem is since he imprinted on her, he when she's not around, he gets stressed out and cries and refuses to eat. Which like so yeah, she has to take this adorable little baby chick dinosaur home um he immediately goes under her bed and after she goes for a shower and comes back out he has destroyed one of her library books well several of her library books and thrown them around the apartment he eats her fish over the course of the stay he eats all of her fish he uses his little snout to lift the lid on the aquarium and is just munching on her pet fish i mean I'm impressed. This is a smart baby. It is a very smart baby. And it Uh, just does all of this chaos. But then we'll get panels of it like calming down, like feeling satisfied and curling up and sleeping next to her, like positioned in a ball like a sleeping cat. Just so cute. Yeah. And there's just like moments of her being like, I haven't eaten I need to move, but if I move, he'll wake up. Maybe if I like use something to like pull stuff towards me, and as much as she tries, she just ends up waking him up again. And, and he starts demanding dinner again. And she just is coming to work just exhausted because she's not getting any sleep. There's a very cute panel of him stealing her eclair. It's like in a package and he's got it held under his wing. It's. <laughs> Uh, so after a bit of time, he's larger, but he's still not fitting in with like the actual rest of the flock. Yeah, um, and so they're not really sure what to do. 
Um, and then Susuma the next day is helping uh, Paidu feed Yuki, the Giganotosaurus from the first volume. And they have a special drum feeder for her, uh, which is basically like you put the meat inside this big drum that's got holes in it. And she has to roll it over to get the meat to come out the holes, which like helps her with her hunting instincts. Yeah, so Suzume basically gets the idea to like create a similar sort of like food dispenser thing that she tries to train Benki to use by like lifting these sort of like shaped blocks and putting them like in the appropriate holes to like to like trigger levers to move or whatever and like pour dinosaur food out of the box where it's obtainable. And obviously him figuring out this little puzzle feeder is the cutest thing. Just like all these shots of him with these like just little like children's toy blocks like placed between his beak. It's a mouth. He doesn't have a beak. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know why I said beak. Mouth. Yeah, there's, his, his there's, scaly There's mouth. no cornification here. It's still scaly with teeth. Yeah. But he also like as the story progresses, we do like get to watch him grow up a bit like the way that he's drawn like slowly shifts like we see the limbs elongate a little bit and stuff like that so that we get to watch him grow up a little bit in real time as he gets all the more dangerous looking all the more easily able to fuck up her house (laughs) we also get like i love the shots of him like clamoring on the sides of his cage and like being able to like open the latch i think like some of the like educational like prose pages also talk about like the equivalent of like opposable thumbs and stuff like that and just like pronation and what different species could do with their hands and like a grip strength and stuff like that don't get me started on dinosaur pronation because it's fascinating mostly in that most species couldn't turn their wrists the way that we're able to. And so when they held their arms to their sides, essentially what would be their palms is facing their body. And they're not able to like angle their wrists any other way. You know, like birds. Like if you grab a chicken wing next time you eat something and you try and eat like a whole chicken and you try to bend it, you, you would see this. It's the same bone structure. Uh, but it means that basically every single dinosaur in Jurassic Park is hilariously inaccurate because they decided to ignore that and have them holding their hands palm down in all of those movies. I, I think some to, of them. I have to wonder how much of it was conscious choice versus them not researching enough and just sort of making assumptions about what a creature could physically do because it didn't even occur to them that they were taking it for granted. So in the first Jurassic Park movie, um, it was simply because we hadn't like reconstructed like they hadn't realized that this would be like they thought they could hold their hands that way or at least like they would be able to swivel it's like additional research is like oh no they wouldn't have been able to in basically all cases but like the choice for that reconstruction on that movie which i actually quite admire is the claws of like the velociraptors are meant to look like eagle talons like it's meant to look like a thing birds have but they're thinking of bird feet and not bird hands and the more recent movies, it is just a choice made because that's now what Jurassic Park dinosaurs look like. Yeah. 
Like it is now a choice that is made knowingly because they have paleontologists consulting on these movies and once every three dinosaurs they might listen to one thing that the paleontologist says. But otherwise it's more or less corporate IP effect where everyone's so used to it looking a certain way that they keep it that way. Oh, they haven't even... The, the All the new species they've introduced have also just like... They've got this weird obsession with making everything look like a big crocodile now. Yeah. Like they don't even look like the dinosaurs did in the first couple movies. They just look like big monsters it's a very yeah and then every other dinosaur thing um in terms of like big hollywood stuff winds up having these like weird teeth that are like messed up and mangled and aren't actually in a row but are like jutting out of the jaw at weird angles because just trying to make them look like a big monster i hate it so much that 65 movie with adam driver every dinosaur in that looks like complete garbage all terrible Not even, like, I would say a good design for an animal, never mind, like, whatever specific dinosaur species they were trying to create. Just this completely unrealistic mess. Yeah. But, you know, I get angry about these things. Yeah. But with regards back to the plot, essentially, Suzume, like, puts in all this effort because she wants for Benkei to be able to, like, live with his family you know, in sort of like a natural way. But basically the end all is that it doesn't work. And despite her efforts, the others still end up just treating their little runt of a brother like shit. And she ends up changing her mind to being like, I was assuming that staying with his family would be for the best. But if you all think that he would be better off like going to this other research facility whatever they call it like I, they call it some sort of lab then yeah so there's a lab which is where they would have to take him because they don't have like the ability to have a separate pen set up yeah uh, the lab actually has like better like facilities than them because it's a place where they actually just study the dinosaurs um so it's not just the caring it's also studying their behavior and iq tests and like benkei solving these puzzles especially at such a young age is like indicating that he's an especially intelligent specimen and actually probably really worth studying. Yeah. And between like that being a good fit and it's starting to get clear that things just aren't improving with him and his family. Suzume shifts to thinking that the lab is the better option for him. And they do end up like sending him to live at the lab separate from his family. And she cries about it and eats the pain away. But it seems like the correct decision in this case. There's also an amazing bit where she shouts his name and he turns around and looks at her and goes, Qua! Yeah, I enjoy the general sound effects the couple times throughout the dinosaurs talk. Just the little, um, the qua, the cue, the, just like the little decisions that they make about like what little onomatopoeia to use for just the animalistic grunts yeah the um like in ichigo in the opening going her and her and after she's broken her ribs and yeah it, it the i noticed it in the first form that we were getting some interesting little dinosaur onomatopoeia but i don't think we really talked about it and there's like a lot more in this volume because we spend so much time with a very loud baby yeah and it's really good um 
because like certainly he probably sounds most like a bird because they're pretty close to but like we, we don't really know what dinosaurs sound like we just kind of have educated guesses based on like well what makes sense and in this case troodon is pretty close to birds he probably sounded like a bird and i think this is capturing a lot of that yeah he of maybe of maybe like any of the species we've seen thus far like this seems like the most dramatically bird-like because like you know like more or less they are all like to at least a little extent but this one very much is just like an extra dangerous chicken running around yeah um i believe and i i can't believe i can't remember for sure troodons are if i remember correctly somewhere under mana raptorans which is like the group that is right next to the group that are birds when you look at everything um on like the big family tree if you put all the different groups together uh how was it what cladistically cladistically they're very close and so we move on to uh, i'm gonna say this is our least favorite little story that we've had in either volume of dinosaur sanctuary so far unfortunately yeah it's like i don't hate it and there are aspects of it i like conceptually but compared to everything else that's weaker it's essentially like our first chapter that's almost entirely from the point of view of visitors to the park i you know? love the idea of visitor eye view it's such a good idea to do that yeah and like because the dinosaur park is more or less like most equivalent to a zoo so it would make sense to step back at some point and like you know get the visitors outlooks on it and like we got like little tastes of it last time with like showing like people react to masaru and stuff like that in a brief capacity the little social media sequence on that was great yeah yeah whereas here essentially the story is that free grade school students had made plans to go to the park together two boys and a girl one of the guys cancels and essentially what we're left with is this guy going to dino land with the girl that he has a crush on but he's too nervous to tell her and he's a big dinosaur nerd and you know like he explains all these dinosaur facts to her and she's having a good time but the whole time he's just sort of worrying like oh there's no way that she could like me am i talking too much i'm embarrassing myself and it's just sort of a little scene of obligatory heterosexuality in the middle of our dinosaur comic listen i do know the dangers of telling a girl too many dinosaur facts you do but it is so dumb that so much of this story is this guy feeling like he's in competition with the guy who literally didn't even show up and like, like he's not even there she's with you right now stop being weird i mean like logically it makes sense enough to me because it's just like you know these are young kids i don't know if they ever say specifically the age can't be any older than like first year of high school or something like that you know like they're young and like you know they're just not experienced and he's anxious and you know i get the whole very young person who is like a bundle of teenage nerves already 
you know, like his mind is making everything sort of as catastrophic as it could possibly be. Like, I understand it intellectually, but I just don't find it particularly interesting to read about, you know, like I don't really connect with it emotionally or find it particularly innovative or poignant. It just sort of plays out more or less exactly like I would think that it would. Yeah, I I get the need for some sort of additional story beyond just here's some visitors to the park. I just wish it was a different one. But we yeah. do get a lot of very wonderful little dinosaur cameos. We get a lot of nice cameos. We get um we get a shot of what the tickets look like to Dino Land with is that a T-Rex? Yeah, that's a T-Rex. Just like the two claws and the like big like body, the the uh, um like bulky body of real giveaway. Yeah, just cool fun time you know from the very beginning it's like that would be a nice date actually and then we just like have them walking around we get to see a variety of species we get a pinacosaurus pinacosaurus yeah this is one i'm less familiar with actually this isn't one that i really know much about but it lovely looks great (laughs) and back to the sound effects just sort of lazily looks at them and says beh Beh. <laughs> I like it. It's one of those like scaly armor plate looking ones. We yeah, get... like Ankylosaurus is related to that, but yeah, I just don't know this one very well. The other ones, I, I the next page, all the dinosaurs here are a species that I absolutely love. So we get one with what looks like a gigantic like egg shape on its forehead. Pachycephalosaurus. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get how do you pronounce this one? Uh, Dinochirus. This um, one is giving like bird vibes again with like the mouth shape. And it's like, it doesn't look just like it, but it's giving me like large, scary, like emu vibes or something like that. Uh, so Dinochirus is actually taller than T-Rex. <laughs> Good God. Um, the first thing they found was the arms. Uh, and, and so they found the arms and they're, you know, huge and have these big claws on them. And so they call it Dinochirus, which means terrible claw. And they're like, well, this is clearly related to this is like probably a Manoraptoran um, because of like the hands are clearly well developed, uh, which like Manoraptoran is uh, like they can manipulate stuff with their hands. So like Velociraptor, but like but this is like a big one. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I was in the British, uh, Natural History Museum, the one in London, and they had, I'm assuming it was a cast of the arms, and they were bigger than me. Like, significantly bigger than me. You said it meant what? Terrible claw? Yeah. Unless I'm somehow misremembering that, but yeah, the Dinochirus is terrible claw. Uh, but then they- very interesting looking, (laughs) and all the more more terrifying to know that it's big- they found more of it, and then they found like other species that were closely related to it. You know, like another specimen that has basically the exact same arms, and they realized that it's actually a really large. They were omnivorous, but they weren't. They didn't like hunt things. <laughs> Just sort of plants and bugs. Yeah, maybe like small animals. If they like are sleeping somewhere and like 
easily grabbed. Makes sense. And then uh, we get just the classic Stegosaurus too, who also says "bah." Uh, I love Stegosaurus. And then we have, have my favorite dinosaur of all time gets to be in this book for two panels, but they are the two most beautiful panels I've ever seen. The we get Cicatosaurus, the little potbelly creatures. That's so great. Um. And, like, we see them, like, interacting closer with them. It's as if they're sort of, like, the petting zoo, like, photo op equivalent species. So, in terms of the niche that they filled, I'd say Cicatosaurus is closest to, like, a deer. Like, they gentle and herbivores? Yeah. Um, they were even colored. So, so, we know what colors they were. We know all of their musculature. We know what their skin texture was we know about the brush on their tail we know like we have so many good like we we found one of these mummified this is the species that we know about the cloaca from because we found the cloaca so these are like comparatively like artistic renderings where we feel especially confident of what they looked like yeah this is like the equivalent of working out what humans looked like from a mummy but, like, a really well-preserved mummy. Okay. So, like, very confident. I mean, I said, so, they f- by looking at it with a microscope and stuff, they were able to find... They've done this with a number of species uh, at this point, but this was, like, one of the ones where I... Uh, Cicatosaurus, we know what color it was by looking at the... Um, uh, now I'm forgetting the name of it, but there's a microscopic thing that gives... Um, scales and feathers color and it's the same like scales and feathers use the same microscopic structure for colors yeah and we know that they were counter shaded so cicatosaurus was lighter colored along the bottom of it and darker colored amongst the top which is excellent camouflage for animals that live in foresty areas which is why deers are colored that way because when they lie down the color evens out across their whole body and makes it much harder for predators to be able to see them. And so these are small herbivorous dinosaurs, they're little beaks, um, and there was tons of these things in prehistoric China in the early Cretaceous, just like loads. We have found mass graves of over a hundred that died in like a volcanic ash and stuff like that. Like they're big population because we found... uh, I think there might actually be more like specimens of cicatus major cicatosaurus uh major which is like the main one that you find um than like any other species huh i mean they're all like a lot of them have been really exceptionally well preserved including like the mummified one they I need guess... their own like three-part story at some point i'm assuming it's coming I guess it makes sense that there would be so many of them too, since they're so much comparatively smaller. That like makes sense to me that like an ecosystem could like support more of them. Yeah, I imagine it's like deer now, where like if anything, overpopulation can be the problem. Yeah, uh, which is another reason why I compared them because that's another species where you're just gonna get like you'll find a bunch. Yeah, uh, I love the the idea of doing a petting zoo as well. Yeah. There's definitely some species where you could absolutely do that, and I I would assume Cicatosaurus is one, unless they're like unexpectedly nippy with their little beaks. Yeah. After the would-be couple, 
has their little petting zoo adventure. They go find Masaru's horn from volume one on display. And the boy is like, I'm gonna, he literally says, take her to the gun show. And is like, a man can lift this easily, can't lift the horn, because it's a several hundred pound horn, and just embarrasses the hell out of himself, trying to emphasize how manly he is by trying and failing to lift Masaru's horn. Just the embarrassment at the dinosaur park. They then go to get something to eat, and um, the people who work at the little cafes in the park definitely work way too hard, because these are all incredibly adorable, and also like way too complicated for what is essentially theme park food. Yeah, like, some of them look a little more doable, and others are just like, that's a bit unrealistic in how much effort it's gonna take, but I do love the designs on the food of... We get like the Churrosaurus, which is just like a churro with a little face on the end to like mimic like one of the long necked dinosaurs. We get Stego dogs, which are just like hot dogs with um, sliced pickles to be like the spikes. And then like the most unrealistic to make one are the Ankylo buns with like melon bread and just like uh, the filling and it's all just like so intricate to like mimic like the spikes that it's very cool looking, if not realistic. And then we like see like more at the gift shop of like appropriately dinosaur themed uh, treats and such like little ammonite shaped like cream puff type things. And it's all very nice. I really love this brief look into, like, this very slight alternate world culture where they've just sort of had dinosaurs actually around in some form for the last, uh, god, they found that island in the 40s, so I guess it would be the last 80 years. Yeah, and we are able to, like, actually capitalize in the most capitalism sense upon them of just, like, making various, like, touristy items to make money off of these species the same way that you'll see at like any boat ride place in florida has all of the alligator merchandise you could ever want and just stuff like that i would buy it oh yeah i'm too much of a sucker especially since these are all accurate because everyone's able to just look at the real dinosaur i don't have the problem that i have of like most dinosaur merchandise in the real world where I'm like, but but why does it look like that, though? Yeah. My favorite thing is that we can see on the shelf of the souvenir shop, there is what is a, a Triceratops plushie, but it is very specifically a Masaru plushie because one of the horns is broken. So this is a plushie that is made just for this theme park based off this specific dinosaur. I know you would like a Masaru plushie. I would. I want a Masaru plushie. I have a Triceratops plushie, but it is not Masaru. I have thought about cutting a horn off and sewing it back together, <laughs> but that just seems a little look, like too much like work, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, but yeah, like the little shots of the gift shop and such are some of my favorite parts of the chapter. Yeah, I like. I love all of the stuff where we're getting the on the ground perspective of someone visiting the park. I think that's so great. And obviously, I, I'm very happy anytime I get a bunch of cameos from different species. 
Yeah. Like, we also get to see a Camarasaurus on the next page, and it's just like, it's just a shot of Camarasaurus, and it's like in scale with the people. And it's like, yeah, it's big, because Camarasaurus is a sauropod, and they were big. Yeah, just that's a big looking bitch. And at one point, I also like the detail where they like look at the clouds in the sky and it's like, oh, look at this conveniently like T-Rex shaped cloud, you know, and yeah, more or less like the volume winds up with just the boy having his moments of being like, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to get strong enough to lift that horn. When I do, will you come back here with me? And the girl, for some reason, says yes. She could not give less of a shit about him being able to lift that horn. Yeah, I guess she just also thinks he's cute and nice and agrees to come back with him. So we don't end with like a love confession, which I appreciate that it's at least not like a will you go out with me at the dinosaur park but yeah we just get what is more or less supposed to be like a little feel good into the date before we mercifully move on to less heterosexual endeavors i really like it when it's about the dinosaurs yeah i still think the book is threatening to have something happen between um suma and kaidu though so yeah me too Watch out. Incoming for you, but... Yeah. I'm mostly just like, okay, but I need to figure out how old she is by comparison, because if he was at her job 15 years ago, I'm like, oh, that's that's 15 years. <laughs> okay. Is she, like, 20 and him 35? What is happening? Yeah, it's like, I think at least it reads to me like she's at least in the 20s and not a literal teenager, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's uh, uh, I'm going to just assume that she has come round to this job a little later in life than he did. Yeah. So they are a bit closer in age. Like she's clearly a bit younger than him, but like if it's like 10 years rather than 15, I will be grateful. Yeah. In the meantime, yes. the final chapter here is entitled Happy Birthday Hanako, and it is all about the preparations that they make for the birthday party for their senior citizen, Tyrannosaurus Rex, their old granny, Hanako. So at the beginning of the first volume uh, and, and the beginning of our first uh, episode, we got a full shot of Hanako during the actual one bit of this comic that has ever been or probably will ever be in color in which Hanako was fully feathered all over her body as an adult T-Rex. And I ranted for a good 10 minutes on this podcast about how that's just not accurate. And here, when we see Hanako, she is not covered in feathers over every inch of her body. She has an appropriate amount of feathering for the actual, like, bits of skin impressions we have off of this species. And I'm just... I really love that these creators... Kinoshida and Fujiwara are both just, like, very, very happy, clearly, to just update something. Like, I'm sure that, you know, the next time we get an entire, like, just, oh, turns out Spinosaurus was even more fucking weird than we thought it was the last time we found something new from it. They'll just update the design to reflect that. 
There's no like, oh, well, it has to look like this and continue to be inaccurate because continuity nonsense. It's just, well, no, we're representing an animal. We should try and be accurate to the animal. I really love that. Yeah. Because just quietly do it between appearances. It's fine. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And like plot wise, this chapter, a lot of it just is about like the planning and then like the execution of the party where like they lure her out with a quote unquote birthday cake, which is just like a cake shaped mound of like a bunch of meat, you know, and like all of the patrons are like all excited to see her particularly there's like this little boy who kept visiting and being disappointed when she didn't show up but then he does get to see her at the birthday party and it's just another sort of like oh here's another kid that loves dinosaurs and could grow up to be a dino keeper moment and a lot of the details are just about like oh here's this specific type of meat that we're using we're gonna talk about her nutrition and her old bones, and just, like, a little bit of a geriatric dinosaur diet discussion. My favorite detail of this entire chapter is that the cut of steaks, so they're using hadrosaur flesh for the steaks, which is presumably just, like, the most expensive dinosaur food you can buy, so they don't really, they don't tend to feed them with it, but the cut is very specifically off the part of the body, that we have the most Tyrannosaurus like teeth impressions on the bones of Hadrosaurs that we have found. So we know that this is where they went first when they attacked these animals. Truly um, mimicking our real world sense of like actual hunting habits. We also get a lot of panels showing Hanako when she was younger, um, including one where we actually see her at like three different ages or side by side. And they show one of the most interesting things about Tyrannosaurus, which is how, like, how much they changed as they grew up. Like, we have a lot of Tyrannosaurus bones, and it's, they filled different niches and, like, had slightly different functions as hunters throughout, like, their different ages. Um, ah, uh, hang on. Bones. Stop. Stop it. Get out. Get out. Anyway, it's been a while since I actually, like, read the book that I've read on this, so I'm not gonna, like, dive into it too much, because I'll get some stuff wrong, probably. But T-Rex is pretty cool. This is demonstrating a lot of the things that made T-Rex really cool. Yeah, it's also just, like, after the more patron-focused chapter and the, like, rough tragedy of the opening of the volume, it's just sort of getting back to the pure like sweet toned educational comic vibe that defined volume one like this and the little baby chick part are like getting us back in the direction of like what feels like the manga's most successful moments yeah it's just a a whole story of just suma and kaidu trying to do something nice for this very old dinosaur yeah which I appreciate too, just like between Masaru and this, and I guess even like with the babies and everything, like the attention paid to like individual dinosaurs of like age and I guess like the equivalent of like disability and 
like personality and temperament differences and things like that. It's, I would say, the best aspect of this comic. Um, I mean, as I said, we, we didn't hate the visitor section, but it wasn't that good just because we don't like the visitors themselves. And, like, I do think that the opening sequence, the whole, like, everything with Chigo in this is excellent and really well done, but it is definitely, like, not what this comic mostly does. Yeah. I do think it's, it's like, a necessary counterpoint to the rest of the book. Like, I don't imagine we're going to see that happen in any of the present-day stuff. Like, none of these, like, we're never going to have that situation in these current books because these characters have this in mind and are being careful. Yeah, and essentially the volume ends post-birthday party with, like, all the employees sort of gathered around. Um, It says that, like, Suzume's like trial like opening period as an employee is going well but wrapping up and the before they decide on a permanent assignment they're going to have her like spend like a brief amount of time with different other employees like the different specialists sort of like working with all the different like major habitats and like type of species around the park so the cliffhanger is sort of like introducing a whole room full of characters and the promise of us presumably getting to get a little taste of all sorts of different species to come. Yeah, so we get Karen, who we spent some time with in the first volume, um, who does Ceratopsians, and then I'm not going to bother naming the other characters because I'm sure we'll get to know them as we see them. This last page, by the way, is a beautiful promise, to me specifically. Um, For example, there's one... uh, character whose main specialty is plesiosaurs which are um marine reptiles not dinosaurs but like we did see on the map in the first volume that they have an area where they keep some plesiosaurs i think maybe they said i think the map also mentioned ichthyosaurs i actually don't have it over here right now second look but um very excited for that uh stegosaurs and pachycephalosaurs excited for that ornithopods are um you know Gallimimus from Jurassic no, Park? No. Uh, imagine a ostrich. Okay. I would say with scales, but it still has feathers. But they're cool. Sauropods, obviously, are the huge ones with the long necks. Uh, one who just covers unusual dinosaurs, which I'm not quite sure what that means, obviously, but um, I have seen the cover to Volume 3, and it has Spinosaurus on it. And Spinosaurus is pretty fucking unusual, so fingers crossed we get a whole section about that. Yeah. I love Spinosaurus so much. Uh, Ankylosaurs, which are like the big armored ones, and Pterosaurs, which again aren't dinosaurs, they are uh, flying reptiles. So, you know, Pteranodon. Sauron. Sauron, exactly. There's a birdcage somewhere in this park then, because that's really the only thing that would make sense to do. I look forward to seeing the flying things. Yeah, I, my assumption is, I, I don't know if we're going to spend like the equivalent of a whole volume with each one of these or not. I don't know if you could have a whole volume off of just stegosaurs and pachycephalosaurs, at least in the format they're doing the story now. I assume probably not, yeah. But, like, I'm very excited by the level of variety promised here, as well as just, like, that's a good, like, four volumes just on this premise of her going around the different departments. Yeah. That's great. I'm so excited. 
Yeah, it's a nice, get, promising ending. Getting some new characters on the human side, also cool. I like that. Some of them look quite interesting. Hopefully it'll be a little deviation from the main two's dynamic so that we have more going on than the like sort of butting heads but sense of oh will they eventually be romantically involved like maybe we'll get a human character that we actually notably like uh i I quite liked karen in the first volume so i'm glad that we're gonna get some more time with her um because she's in the masaru section because like uh suma gets loaned over to her to help her out for a little bit um, but I imagine that's probably, since we've already done Masaru, like, for variety's sake, we'll probably go with some of the others first. Yeah. Because we've been very Theropod-heavy lately, but also that's because she's been working with the Theropods. Uh, the volume has a little bit of back matter and just some extra comics. There's some um, more stuff of, like, a younger Kaido working with Ichigo before, like, everything went wrong. There's a tease of Volume 3, which is odd. But, like, presumably is going to lead into more of, like, Suzume's sort of, I'd say, based on Volume 1, the main thing that she's able to bring to the park that no one else can, which is, like, she's been able to come up with ways of actually, like, making the park engaging again for guests and getting people to notice it again. Yeah. So I think we're going to be getting more of that that we got with, like, Masuro's Horn, which is now clearly just, like, a solid part of the park now that, like, we've even seen it in the Visitor storyline. But yeah, that's that's Dinosaur Sanctuary Volume 2. I love it. More to come in September. Thank goodness. But yeah, that basically wraps us up for this week. Um, barring any last minute schedule changes, the plan next week will be to have a guest on to discuss the first two issues of Static from the 90s, specifically the original run as part of milestone so yeah look forward to that and we will see you next week bye bye